0: Hi, this is Stay, and I am your host, Takesha August. On this podcast, you'll hear conversations and content dedicated to trust, love, and honoring our intuition. From birth to motherhood, from work to womanhood. Collectively, we will be cultivating peace, joy, confidence, and community. The foundational elements of thriving in a well-lived life and sharing some laughter along the way. Here's to new patterns, healed hearts, and becoming the masters of our own self-preservation. You are invited to stay with your heart, with your body, Hello, and welcome to STAY. This is Takesha, and I am so excited to speak to my guest today because she is someone that I have known from a uh, client professional sense for almost eight years now. She (laughs) was our pediatrician when Jalen was born, or Dr. Jalen, as we call him here at home. Um, And she really helped to shape my experience in early motherhood, and uh, helped me to feel seen and heard in those early days where many new moms can feel overwhelmed and traumatized by the whole system. So Dr. Playforth is a board-certified pediatrician and mom of three in Northern Virginia with a special interest in parent and healthcare education. She is passionate about approaching parenting with nuances, and her goal is to help parents develop the confidence to trust their intuitions within an evidence based framework welcome dr. Playforth so glad that you can join us this morning
1: thank you so much for having me It is really fun to be here and to check in and see how everybody in the family is doing and, and to see kind of what you're doing professionally too
0: I know it's so fun it, you know and I I the last time we saw you was last year in Jalen's uh, seven year checkup um, and it's usually we don't know what's happening with our doctors or whatever in between visits and all of that. And mm-hmm. it's really been great to see you emerge on social media and to create this um, information platform for parents. Um, and I've always had such respect for uh, the way you hold space for parents. And, and it's interesting, when, when we started coming to you, almost eight years ago, because he will be eight this month um, <laughs> at the time of this recording. Um, you were not yet a mother. Mm-mm. And I, I can't remember what checkup we went to where we saw that you were, in fact, expecting. <laughs> um, but I'm so I'm so excited. First of all, tell us a little bit about um, who you are in your journey um, into pediatrics or the work that you're doing now. Um, And then we can get into how your work has been impacted by entering into motherhood for yourself.
1: Um, So I actually, um, I grew up in Malawi in Central Africa. So I was born in England and then I was in Malawi for my, almost my entire life. Um, Well, I guess at this point, half my life. Um, I came to the States for college and then met my husband in college and have been here. And now my family has moved here as well. Um, But, uh, you know, the culture shock, it's sort of interesting being an Indian person who grew up in Africa and then coming here. There's just learning how different cultures approach life and parenting and things. It's been really interesting to kind of observe that both um, as before I was a parent and then now as a parent as well. I think I've developed more of a respect for where culture comes from. What, what role culture plays in parenting and in life. Um, and then so, yeah, I've been in practice for 10-ish years. Um, and as you said, I was not a parent initially um, when I started private practice. And then now I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-month-old. And with every child, the way that I've approached pediatrics has changed.
0: Oh my gosh! And it's well, you know, for early on um, in the practice that that you were a part of when Jalen was born. You know, we have an opportunity to see different practitioners, you know, for sick visits or whatever. Um, and it it didn't take us very long to realize, like, oh, we definitely want to stay with Doctor Playforth because <laughs> in those those early those early days and the questions. I mean, I, I've shared um, with the listeners several times. Uh, about my own journey into motherhood and how clueless I was about even like pregnancy and birth and then, you know, breastfeeding and all the crazy stuff that goes into all of it when you have no idea what to expect. Um, And I just remember speaking to another provider because I was so um, (laughs) desperate to like know that I wasn't breaking my kid because Mm -hmm. nursing was such a challenge for me. And I was, I was so concerned, is he getting enough to eat? Is he eating enough? Am I producing enough? I don't know what to do. Am I like, is he latching properly? Like just so many questions and I felt lost. And I remember that you made it so um, comforting. And I, I'm sure the, the thousands of families that you saw within that time, you know, within the last eight years, I'm sure you don't remember this, but you made it so simple. And, and you were like, he's fine. Everything is fine because, you know, Jalen has always been within like, I think like the two to five percentile, like he's a tiny little thing and (laughs) he's always been a tiny little thing. But, you know, listener, if you don't know myself and his father are both (laughs) tiny little things. So, (laughs) so you were the first one who was like, I mean, you, you and your partner are, you know, smaller. You're not going to have this, gigantic child, like just naturally. And that made me feel so much better because I was comparing my child to our our friend's kids who are, you know, they're six feet, you know, the mm-hmm. dad who's six foot three and the mom is five foot nine. And, and I'm like, but our baby is so tiny and I don't know if he's getting enough. And it was just so nice to have that kind of reassurance. And also with the questions that I had about, you know, should I vaccinate him with this? Or do I have to get all these things at once? And what does all this mean? And I have no idea what's going on. And you explained things to me and you respected my request for you know spacing things out. You respected the fact that I was a little bit of a granola um, <laughs> aspirational mom because I had read all the things and I was like, I'm going to do it as green as I possibly can and also not knowing. And you you never made me feel like I was ridiculous or crazy for Googling all the things. So I just, I want to thank you for that because I was... That really helped to shape my early mothering years and reinforced the need for me to help support pregnant women and new mothers in like the work that I'm doing now. Um, because just having that support, that extended village, is so invaluable. And the pediatrician really is a part of that mm-hmm. that village or that community of care. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so fascinated that you grew up in Malawi. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that you were Indian, of course, and I knew that your husband has, I think he's got like brilliant red hair, right? (laughs) Brilliant red hair, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm so, okay, so like now I've got like a million questions in my head because having witnessed how family systems work in Africa and how mothering works, I don't know what perspective you had as a younger person or to what extent you really observed um, how mothering worked or parenting worked in in Africa as opposed to coming to the United States and, you know, seeing the contrast there. But how how did that um, experience influence how you were able to hold space for new parents as a pediatrician?
1: You know, it's really interesting to hear you say kind of what you recall about those early visits, because I feel like I don't know if I did a good enough job with that stuff before I had children. Um, You know, I think that I was actually a lot more rigid um, and, and less, I mean, I, it has always been important to me to hear parents' perspective because I think ultimately, and this is true no matter where you grew up or where you're from, all of us want to do the best by our children, right? Like those questions yeah. are not coming from an, a desire to question authority or question science or anything like that. Those, those questions are coming from a place where you want to know that you are doing the best for your child and that you're keeping your child safe and healthy. And we all want to be heard. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a toddler if you're a grown-up, if you're a teenager, it doesn't matter. We all want to be heard, and I think everybody deserves that. Um, one of the things that I, I do recall about talking to you even back then was that you you came in with your research. You were always very educated and, and kind of had a sense of what you wanted, but then you were also willing to have an actual conversation with me um, about my experiences as a clinician and then later on as a mom as well. Um, you know, we as a practitioner, I still always have tried to follow evidence-based practices. Um, and I think that you kind of heard me on that as well. So like we did some spacing, but we still kind of stuck to we stuck to what the guidelines were. Um, and we just I think you made space for me as well. and and that's that is like one of the most important things about that pediatrician parent relationship that it's a long-term relationship. You've got to find the, the right connection that isn't actually answering your question, but it was something that, what you were saying earlier I kind of wanted to bring up but um one of the things that growing up in africa growing up um, in an indian family and then kind of seeing how things are here one of the things i've observed is that what is really hard about the nuclear family sort of culture of of the states now and i think the pandemic has made that even more true is that everybody feels very isolated and there's this pressure to feel like you have to kind of go it alone. You have to figure it out on your own. You have to do all your research. And and this sort of ties into the earlier point. Um, you're not alone and you have to find your village. And that might be other moms, that might be extended family, if that's available. But a lot of times it's not because we're all moving um, for jobs and things like that. Um, and you have, to, you have to kind of find the right pediatrician as well. Um, because it takes it takes a village. That's that's. It's a common. It, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Parenting is hard work, and you cannot go it alone. It just it, your kids deserve more of a village, and you deserve more of a village as well because it's an experience.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I love that so much, and I don't know a whole lot about um, Indian culture um you know largely but i do appreciate the perspective of um you know motherhood and mothers mothering bodies uh among indian culture and how you know the the postpartum body is mm-hmm. accepted more so than here in the united states and like the western view of you know snapback culture and all the things and And I, I think on one hand I was kind of sucked into like, oh, well, I don't want to overeat. I don't want to eat too much. I don't want to like, first of all, I had no idea what to eat for, to produce the amount, like the milk that I needed. Um, and I also, I remember too, that you kind of gave me permission to like feed myself, like (laughs) to eat stuff, um, and to not overthink that process, um, because i was kind of like well shouldn't i like nursing is supposed to make my tummy flat and all these things and you allowed me to cuz i i i think there there's a lot of permission that is that is sought from parents from the pediatrician on like how am i doing this am i allowed to as a like as if we're not all adults but you you know you kind of want that permission like am i allowed to just eat more calories and you're like in fact you're going to want to consume more calories because you're now producing nourishment for another human as if that wasn't obvious but it's just it's so interesting how you can kind of be stuck in this vacuum because you know those early days of having a baby you're kind of in isolation depending on how much support you actually have Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the support that I was getting was more or less like um, you know immediately getting your body back in shape or like like I had no frame of reference for what what it what it should be what it should look like um, and have having worked with parents for so long um, I'm curious what you think of parenting as a parent now yourself and having worked with other parents
1: I think that it is a life-changing journey that nobody can really appreciate until you are there because mm. that feeling you know that feeling of anxiety in particular, I think, is is not something that is adequately captured in reading material or anything like that. That feeling of that, now your heart lives outside your body and you only have so much control over it, um, that is a very deep, powerful, and terrifying feeling. Um, For sure. <laughs> but it is also the most one of the most rewarding experiences. Um, I think it's interesting that you talked about a little bit of the postpartum culture um, here and then within kind of the Indian experience as well. Because when I first met you, I didn't actually even know as much about what that immediate postpartum experience would look like as an Indian. Um, and I was pregnant with my first. And my mom, so culturally what we typically do is that there is, you're, when you're pregnant for the last few months of your pregnancy, and at least in my extended family, you go and stay with your your the maternal grandparents. So the mom goes, the pregnant woman goes, and then, um, she's there until three or four months postpartum being taken Mm. care of by her mother. Now, obviously that wasn't something that was easy to do for us, but my mom told me, Oh, I'm going to come in. I'm going to stay for, for six to eight weeks. And I talked to my husband I was like, I don't think I want my mom here for six to eight weeks. This is the thing we want, um, and I talked to a friend of mine who, interestingly, was she'd had her first baby. She wasn't. She's not Indian. She was my best friend from med school, and she said, "You are going to want your mother there." Um, and so I listened, and my mom stayed for six weeks, and it was amazing. And she has done it now for each of the pregnancies, and. There's a very specific diet that she she was a little militant, I'll be honest with you. like she was like you have to eat this and you have so it, it, there is like pressure in a different way, but she was also like the role of the po- the mother postpartum is to heal. Mm-hmm. So your only job is to take care of your child. I will take care of all the other things. So she took care of cooking, she took care of the laundry, she took care of the housework. Um, and all I had to do was heal and feed my baby and rest. And that, that is what's missing here. And it's unfortunate um, because you, I mean, bounce back culture is its own thing, right? Like that's not a real thing, but you actually do heal from that process better when you are supported in that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that, I don't know that I would, would have wanted my mother to, (laughs) (laughs) to be around. Uh, to be at my house for six to eight weeks, um, but when there is a cultural connection and like a like a a history or or like some kind of ritual that goes mm-hmm. along with that that matches your culture, like I can see how that can be super healing. And I'm so glad that you asked another mom friend. Who was like, oh, you're gonna want this. Like, I cannot imagine under what circumstances I want my mother to be in a house with me and my husband. Like, but I I am glad that you listened to that. And yeah, it is, it, it is such, <laughs> it is such a clarifying experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I am always curious about pediatricians who don't have children and and choose to never have children and how they are able to continue to hold space and hear like the full story, because a lot of times, you know, as a pediatrician, I would imagine like your sole focus is the baby. Right. And, um, you know, we recently I've, I've seen so many things on Instagram around, um, pediatricians reporting certain things on, on parents and babies being taken from parents and mothers in the, like these early stages of, of motherhood or parenthood. And it, it just, being exposed to so much information on the internet can create so much fear inside mm-hmm. of new parents' bodies especially if you are the birthing parent or mm-hmm. a parent who is needing to lactate to feed a baby and so all that all that fear and trauma can kind of like be stored in the body so yeah it is it's interesting to to hear how your experience was in in the early was that your first pregnancy that you remember um the process or like by the second and third, were you like, Oh, this is old hat. I know my mom's going to do this. I know that I'm going to eat these things. Was it basically the same process?
1: It was basically the same process. Um, and now, I mean, I don't know that that would be the right thing for every family. And my mom actually is somebody that is really, I mean, typically very laid back and easily kind of slots into our lives here. And, and, um, she, she's flexible and she's she's super helpful and she's like a very peaceful person, you know, like she doesn't, it's not, it doesn't feel tense to have her around. And I don't think that's always true. So we're very blessed that way. Um, But I, you know, and whether that, I think everybody needs someone in to help them out. And that might be your spouse. That might be a friend. um, But having somebody who you feel like is on your side and kind of has your back is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that um you've heard some stories of of pediatricians reporting things. I I know I don't know any pediatrician that has ever wanted to do that or ever feels good about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um I've only had to do it a few times and I think that all of us perseverate over it and question it and a lot of times, try to do our best to avoid having to do that. And sometimes there are, you know, unfortunately, the, the part of the job is that you are going to see some things that are yeah. tragic. Um, but that sort of ad, like I, what I what I want to make sure that parents aren't feeling, and what I want to make sure that parents have found the right pediatrician is, you should not feel adversarial, and you should not feel like you want, need to hide anything, right? Because ultimately, we are on the same team. Our goal is the well being of your child, and mm-hmm. And that feeling like you are on the same team as your pediatrician is critically important. You shouldn't be feeling like your pediatrician's going to rat you out or ever has the goal of taking the child away from the parent. Like that's never, ever the goal. Um, and I don't know any pediatrician. Like, honestly, I'm thinking of every pediatrician I know, whether they have children, whether they don't, like, I don't know any pediatrician that has ever felt anything other than torn when they've had to do that.
0: Yeah. And I I can imagine you have to use quite a bit of discernment because I remember being so afraid. So for those of you listening, Dr. Jalen, for every year of his life, I was so grateful that he was still alive because it seemed that his head magnified towards floors and table (laughs) corners and he would like run full speed and just ram himself into things and fall over. He never cried. like never seemed to really be hurt. And I was like, oh my God, I think he bumped his head, had a huge knot on his head somewhere around a pediatrician visit. And I was like, they're going to think I like did something to my child. And, you know, so every single time that I took him and you were the provider that we saw, you were like, he's a little boy. Like, tell me about his activity. Like, you wanted to know. You didn't just assume like someone did something to him. And, you know, you you really took time. Even, even when it was questions around um his attention span you know i got feedback from mm-hmm. a teacher that wasn't awesome who was like you should have him tested for you know he might have adhd and ask the pediatrician and i was so concerned like is You're this not. normal behavior mm-hmm. like is is my child okay i am open to him not being okay but tell me what to i have no idea what to do and you always gave me the right tools and you know asked really um good clarifying questions and assured me like, you know what? his behavior is normal for whatever fill in the blank stage or age he was at the time. Mm-hmm. um and so i i every time i I see or hear news about that, I always want to think like, gosh, are there? I mean, I'm sure there there are bad apples in every kind of profession, right? I hear about yoga teachers who are inappropriate with their students and like, you know, weird stuff that happens. But I can only imagine if you enter into a profession like pediatrics, you have to one like children, you have to like children, you have to. Yeah. So I can't imagine most pediatricians wanting to just report without any kind of reference or background or, or what have you. Um, so if you're listening and you are pregnant and you're a new mom, I mean, there are so many things to be afraid of. As a doula, I experienced a lot of clients in the last year, especially um, my clients of color, mostly Black women, who were afraid of hearing things about the maternal mortality rate and how mm-hmm. that differed for Black women versus our white counterparts and so forth. And yeah. so I'm I'm aware from that perspective how the things that we see and hear can impact our experience or our perception of uh, whatever stage we're currently in. Um, So again, I just want to appreciate you so much for being, you know, open-minded and like, I'm so thankful I didn't have that reference back then of all this information. I would have probably been terrified to even say anything like, is it okay that my kid has a not on his head. Like, I mean, obviously you can see this. Um, but I, I mean, like my partner and I still laugh now because I'm like, he's still alive. And he finally grew into his head. And we're so glad that he's not not actively trying to kill himself because I would ask other parents like, does your child actively try to kill themselves all the time? They're like, yeah, it's kind of like looking after a drunk friend. Mm -hmm. Like you're just trying to keep them (laughs) from running in the street or falling down steps or going home with strangers. Like that's literally, it's basically the same.
1: It's so (laughs) true. I mean, (laughs) yesterday my son was trying to go up the stairs while looking down. I was like, you need to look in the direction that you are going. You <laughs> run around and not look where you're going. Yeah, operations. Oh I've had to call friends. Um, you know, I I think it happens to all of us, and you feel guilt about it. But like, this is also part of. Like, I want to see a few little bruises and bumps. It means that you're not overly coddling your kid, right? There, one of the life lessons that children need to learn is: you fall down, you get back up. That's an yeah, lesson.
0: yeah. So in saying that like again I, I was your perspective on that influenced by the fact that you are now a parent and i think, I think that i started to recognize
1: that even when you're doing everything perf- perfectly and i mean honestly like i'm not but um even when you like try to like check all the boxes for example with childproofing um then your kid can still find ways to try to to harm himself. I mean, my kid once um, got into a chop of medication bottle oh, and I no. had to call poison control, right? Like, here's the pediatrician calling poison control, being like, uh, yes, yeah, so what did you look for? It? Oh, no. Grown up medication and he shouldn't have had access to it. And that was my fault. Um, but, you know, like that was a learning experience as well. And he, it's interesting also to see kind of the different personalities in your kids. Right. Cause my oldest, you know, you told her, don't, don't open that and she'd be like, okay. And then my second is like constantly trying to harm himself, but <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, like parenting is partly pivoting on and doing things the way that your child needs them to be done. Um, it, right. One of the things that I do remember about you though, you know, is you talk about like coming in with those concerns from the teacher and stuff, you are always a very effective advocate for your kid too, right? I think a lot sometimes parents worry that they're bothering the pediatrician by asking questions and sometimes you know the setup in the pediatrician's office is such that like you're being kind of shoved out the door a little bit, and my hope is that that was never the case with our practice. I certainly always tried to make sure that I mean that's not the way I want when I take my kids to the pediatrician i I do not want to feel like I'm being shoved out the door. Um, I want my questions answered, but like you were always very good about um, asking the questions and and making sure that you had the information that you needed too. Um, and like if your pediatrician isn't letting you do that, then maybe they're not the right fit for you.
0: Yeah, you know I always notice the stance of any provider, even if it's my own provider, when they walk into a room, what stance they take. And there were some pediatricians that would stay standing; huh? they would kind of like be like their feet would like one foot would be pointing towards the door. Like I'm really into nonverbals, and you always came in and you sat down and you crossed your legs and you like got comfortable and you always made eye contact with him. And, you know, he was always probably trying to fall off the table or (laughs) climb. So I don't know. (laughs) Like it was always a circus. Um, but I, I always felt like I could, uh, Ask my questions because if I wasn't able to see you, say for a sick visit, if you weren't available, I would always write down my questions because I didn't know mm-hmm. who I was going to get and I didn't want to forget. Yeah. And when you walked into the room, you gave me enough energetic space to remember my questions to like, at, like you answered exactly what I asked and not like what you thought I asked or what you thought you I should hear or, or whatever. Um, and even with you know I I've got a kid who is deathly afraid of needles. I am hoping that he outgrows this because he is now getting too strong for me to wrap up with my body. Mm Um, and, and you like took the time between you and the nurses, like, you know, we always had to like basically put him in a chokehold, but not chokehold, um, in order for him, (laughs) in order for him to like get a shot or, you know, which I think a lot of it had to do with, um, a trauma. He fell in, in school one day. I think he was like three and he sliced his face open, like right next to his eye. And they had to, they had to like burrito constrain him. his butt Yeah. They had to like put him in this burrito thing. Yep. And he, it's literally like every time I think about it, it's so funny because on one hand, I'm like this mom who is looking at my kid, who's got blood gushing out of his face. And on the other hand, he's screaming at the doctors in the, in the ER and was like, you have no idea who I am when you let me out of this. I'm like, he like genuinely a three-year-old brain. He thought he was a superhero. He was like, I'm so strong. You have no idea who I am. Get me out of this. And I'm like, it was so funny. But then, but then to see like the, the after effects of that trauma of like Mm -hmm. him feeling powerless and him not, um, You know, feeling into the fact that he was small and was not, in fact, a superhero and could not control what was happening to him. Um, And then to also come to the doctor for regular visits, even if he said, I don't like Dr. Playforth, I don't want to see her. And (laughs) you were still always so patient and, you know, and then he would he would he would respond so much differently to you than a lot of people because you know we all know or i believe that children are very keen to energy and they they like they know who's there and like mm-hmm. on one hand he's like i hate her because she's going to like i'm going to have a shot or she's going to like poke at me or whatever yep. but then on the other hand he's like she's so nice or one day he was like really into like women 's clothing, like noticing things he's like, "I like her dress. her dress is pretty. Ask her where he, where she got her dress from I was like her dress i 'm not going to go ask her where she got her dress from um, But it was just so it was it was so nice to see your um, level of interaction and your comfort in coming into a space and recognizing how important it was for you to not appear to be in a hurry because i 'm sure you 're very busy." But like to not appear as though we're just like another thing to get out of the way <laughs> like because you have to get to someone else um, you also co-authored a book yes and I would love to hear about that and what is what what is the book what is it about how can it help us
1: so um, it was I had started the social media platform and um, I got a message from a woman who is brilliant and she had wanted to put together this baby led weaning book because there's a, there's actually not a whole lot of resources on baby led weaning. And for those who don't know, baby led weaning it's misnamed, but the concept is essentially skipping the puree stage and, and letting your child have real food right away. Mm. Um, and obviously there's a lot of fear around that, right? Because what if my child chokes and you can't do it before six months and, um, and, and even pediatricians actually are not taught about it. Um, I did it with both my kids, and it worked really great with one and not great at all with the other, and, and that was, again, a life lesson about parenting, right? You can have sort of this theory of how you want to approach things, and then, you know, it's a two-person endeavor for most things, and your child has an opinion. They've not always read the book. Um, but she wanted to put together this guide on baby-led, baby-led feeding, and she was working with a dietitian. And so we got together a group of, uh, it was me, so the pediatrician, and then a pediatric allergist, because there's always a lot of questions on how do you introduce allergens to your child, right? Um, And then the dietician, and then a speech and swallow therapist as well. And the guide, so it's a book that's a guide to what baby led weaning is, um, how to think about when is your child ready for solids, how to approach it safely, um, and then also a bunch of recipes that include things like allergens, but also kind of make space for people who have alternative diets, right? So I'm vegetarian, the pediatric allergist is vegan. Um, so she's entirely plant based. And, and we have recipes that kind of accommodate that as well. Um, and how to and so it's a recipe book, but there are other resources for like that. And sort of the, the concept of this book is when you are a parent, you are a busy person. And you do not have time to prepare entirely separate meals for your child. For Amen. Your, right. So, <laughs> the, the the idea is a recipe book that has meals for the whole family, where you with with um, preparation instructions that are easy and quick for the baby, such that you're still introducing them to everything they need to be introduced to, but not making extra work for yourself. So, um, it's called a hundred and one before one. Oh. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's been really fun. And, uh, you know, the, the CEO, the, the woman who kind of came up with the idea, she's a beautiful graphic designer. So it's, it's like colorful and vibrant and it has good photos. And I have been learning a lot with this new baby who's now two and a half months old. Once we're doing solids, I'm super excited to try recipes I've never tried before. Um, so it's at um, 101before1.com. But it's. it's I've always wanted to write a book, uh, or to be part of a book team, and and this is so. This was a dream come
0: true to to work on this. That's so cool. I love. I'm gonna have the. I'm gonna have to add that to my library. What's <laughs> What's interesting is that when I first learned about baby led weaning. And I was talking to him, I was raised by my grandparents and I was talking to my grandmother about it. She was like, I mean, it sounds like what we did, but now they're calling it something. Yes. So like no one pureed food for me. Like I was raised by like the elders in my family. Um, And, you know, they would like, sometimes they would like chew up little bits of food and like baby bird it, you know, give it to the baby or, you know, if they seemed interested, they're like, yeah, you just got to pay attention to like, is your baby interested in the food? Is it like, do they seem like they're ready? And it was just so, it was like another one of those lessons where we hear about a lot of things that are quote unquote new or modern. And then you you speak to an elder (laughs) and they're like, oh, we always did that. Like now it's called like you know, clean beauty and eating clean and doing all this stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, we used to always grow our own vegetables and fruits (laughs) and whatever, because like, that's just, it was easier to afford. Like we couldn't just buy a bunch of processed things, you know, whatever. Um, Or even like breastfeeding, like when that became like a thing, like, well, that's what we did because it was free. Um, (laughs) So it's just, I'm really excited about having additional resources where people can, can one, like you said, no one has time to be mixing up two different meals. I remember what that was like to like boil the chicken and then like put some of it in the blender with the squash that I chopped up and <laughs> for the baby. Oh, yeah. And then oh my gosh, it was so much work. Yeah. Um, and then needing to freeze all the things and then what if I didn't defrost it in time? And then what do I feed the baby and feeling like I'm doing it wrong? And um, so I'm I'm excited and to check so- out this book
1: there's so few resources for plant-based and vegetarian families. You know, I kind of hate buying recipe books. I mean, I used to, now that actually there's more, but, but you know, cause half the recipes were always had meat in
0: them. And yeah, it like, no, it's true. Me? Yeah. Well, and I, when I, before I got pregnant, I was a vegetarian and then, you know, my provider was like, oh, you need some, some animal protein during your pregnancy because your iron levels, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I noticed early on, like Jalen wasn't really into meat. And so I was, I was always stuck with like, how do I make sure he gets enough of whatever he needs for a small human? Um, (laughs) but like, you're right. All the books that I had, I still have many of them. It was like, you know, it, if anything, it said like fish. Like if I asked someone, like, do you have a book that doesn't have meat, you know, recipes in it for kids? They're like, oh, well, this one has fish. I'm like, so I mean like not meat, (laughs) like (laughs) like, not an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, that's exciting. I can't wait to, um, to grab that.
1: Focus on iron. So you're right that like vegetarians and vegans, like iron is often one of the, um, The things that are missing from our diet. When I was pregnant, actually this time I had to have iron and transfusions because Mm. oral iron wasn't doing it, wasn't cutting it. And I was so severely anemic. So yeah, it's gotta be something you think about. Um, and with, with babies as well, like we, whether you're vegetarian or not, when you're introducing solids, we like to focus on iron rich foods. And so the dietitian has kind of put together meals that balance iron with, like, say, vitamin C, which you're supposed to have together to enhance mm-hmm. the absorption of that iron in, the, in your diet. So so um, the meal planning kind of accommodates all of that.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so exciting. Huh. So what's, <laughs> what's, uh, what's next for you? I know you're, like, stepping out of your maternity leave a little bit. Um, what's next for Dr. Playforth? So
1: I am hoping to open my own practice in this area, um, or it's certainly go back to clinical practice. Um, you know, I've been off now since since late January of this year, and it's been wonderful. You know, I, I kind of have like an extended maternity leave, which you do not get in this country, right? Um, yeah. The baby was born in July. I'm going to have six months with him at least, which is wonderful. And And my kids are still young enough that they want to play with me and they want to be with me, and I want to enjoy those moments because you know, soon they'll be teenagers and they won't want to be around me at all. Um, And working on the social media platform has been very fulfilling because I think it's fulfilling a need. Parents, there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much confusing black and white information out there about like how this is the only way to sleep train and this is the only way to introduce solids and and this is the only way to discipline your kid. And I think that uh, there needs to be a voice that allows space for the personalities of the parents and the personalities of the kids, because there isn't a single answer for most things. Um, And so I'm I'm enjoying putting together evidence-based resources
0: that are accessible for parents for free. I definitely benefit from them (laughs) so often.
1: (laughs) I do want to go back to clinical practice though, and I plan to, and and I'm excited to see, see patients again.
0: Listen, um, listener, before I hit record, I asked her when, do we make an appointment? Because I mean, we're coming up on our eight year visit, so we might have to, I don't know, but I was like, that was really my offline question. Like, so where do I call to make an appointment? Um, um, So a question that I ask everyone, and I'd love to hear your answer as well, is what practices do you lean on when you need to stay with yourself? How do you stay with yourself when life is challenging or you're being called to move out of your comfort zone?
1: I love this question. Um, So yoga, actually, Um, I had sort of gotten out of practice. I used to do it a lot more and then parenting and life and all that. Um, But this year in particular, I've gotten back into practice. Um, At the beginning of the pandemic, I just needed something. And... um, uh, I, I started doing it you know like I, I can't get to it every day but but I try to do it three four times a week if I can and even if it's just a 20 minute yoga session it kind of helped me feel centered through the pregnancy which was really hard this time um, and and now postpartum as well it's been nice to just keep my body moving I had a pretty bad herniated disc um, a couple of years ago and realized that part of the issue was that my core strength wasn't great and so I've been Like being – working on flexibility and core strength through yoga has been wonderful. And then the other thing I do is I write. I love writing and um, sometimes I articulate – I kind of know where I am mentally better after I've written for a while and I see what I've written. Um, So those are the two things that I do.
0: I love that. Those are also my go-tos. So (laughs) – so I'm definitely a fan of that for sure. Um, oh, how can yeah, people in time? Yeah. Listen, so I got I got back into yoga when I when I got pregnant because I did need to connect with my body in some mm-hmm. way. Like I had the worst morning sickness my first trimester. I mean, I, my pregnancy was pretty Google uh google steady like if google said between this week and this week you're going to have nausea and morning sickness like that's exactly how long every one of my stages was like it's very textbook um but i also felt very detached from my body so it's it's nice to hear when other people are are um you know testifying to the fact that get like a, a movement practice of some kind or getting into your body is super helpful especially when you're pregnant and you're kind of feeling a little disembodied while growing a body
1: and I felt that way I mean I did not like being pregnant at all like all those women I would read all these things about women who you know find pregnancy to be like amazing and they love what their body's doing and and I I admire those women but that was just it was not me with any of the pregnancies
0: yeah it wasn't me either I call them like the happy pregnant fairy stories like I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to feel like this happy pregnant fairy like oh I feel like I'm glowing I'm so excited like I had a person with their head lodged in my bladder, and if I sneezed pregnant, it would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't walk through the produce aisle for most of my pregnancy without wanting to like lose my lunch. Um, so yeah, I was super intrigued by these people who were like, oh, it's so blissful and wonderful. I have a friend who was one of those people that made pregnancy look so easy. And in fact, she became a surrogate because pregnancy was uh-huh. just such a joy for her. That's amazing um, that you could get yeah. that
1: gift. I-
0: exactly. I was like, listen, if anyone could could make this look easy and give this gift to other people, it is you. But that wasn't my experience. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you feel a little guilty about it too, right? Oh, for sure. Like, even with breastfeeding, like I feel like I should be, you know, I'm lucky that I can do it and I wasn't able to really well with the other two and, and this time, I, but I, I was actually telling my husband just last night, I, kinda, I just don't like it. Like yes. I like what it can do and I like that it's liquid gold and, and I like to see how the effect on my baby, but like the experience of it, I just don't like, like I want my body back, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I totally get it. it. Which is, I and I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot working with moms and even the early stages of motherhood, they might whisper to me like, I don't love being a mom. Mm, love my, my kid, mom. love them so much, but I don't love this. Is that okay? Like- Absolutely. It's okay. Because it is a lot, like, especially during the last 18 months, at least for me to have my kid with me 24 seven, by the end of the day, I was over-touched. Get away from me. Stop touching me. Like just feeling the overstimulation. And so I think it's so important for us to share our stories and experiences and hold space for one another, because it is, it is hard. It is so hard. And it's not like you just transform into this person who is Completely unlike whoever you were before. Mm -hmm. So, as an introvert, it doesn't—it doesn't change the fact that I'm an introvert because I'm someone's mother who happens to be an extrovert, and he wants to talk all the time and be around me all the time and touch me all the time. And so, it's important to find those practices where you can just really be present with yourself for even a couple minutes a day, so that you don't lose it.
1: And it teaches your kid something too, right? Like it teaches your kid that, like, mom is a person that also has needs and Mm -hmm. and she's honoring those needs. And like, that's okay to do. I feel like that's a, that's a, hopefully a life lesson that they continue to carry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're learning a lot about boundaries and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) not, not, not touching everyone when we're talking to them, Um, which apparently is, is a thing for like breastfed babies. It takes them a little longer to get out of the like touching, like being very tactile. um, And in our Westernized society touching is is uh, well, I would say modern Westernized society because yeah. when I was younger, I was allowed to like touch my friends, like hold their hands and hug my teachers. And nowadays, it's like you know we should have a meeting because your son wants to hug me when he talks. Like, mm-hmm. God forbid. This like- <laughs> <laughs> also made that worse, right? Like, oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, we're all kind of like uh, six feet away, please.
0: Oh, I know. Well, I'm I'm thankful that this year he's got a teacher who um who is Verbally affectionate and is not put off by my child who likes to get really close to people (laughs) and you know just kind of kindly sets those boundaries, but it's not like a flag for her. Like, I don't, I don't, she's not sending me notes home all the time like his teacher did before there was even a pandemic. She was just like, This is a problem for concern. Like, are you trying to say my child is on his way to being a creep? I think he's just a little boy who likes to. Be around people, um, so yeah, she was a joy. Um, I hope she retired. Um, I think she was on her way to retire. <laughs> but anyway, um, how can people find you, work with you, support your work? Tell us where to go.
1: Um, so my um, Instagram handle—I do a lot of my stuff on Instagram and Facebook. So the handle is the pediatrician mom. And my website is thepediatricianmom.com, although I have to make the admission that my website needs to be updated. Um, it's just,
0: it's been on the list, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're doing things like momming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've well, reading a lot about COVID and
1: stuff too, and I think a lot of people have questions about that. And, and so any spare time I have right now, I'm focusing on writing articles on topics like how to keep your kid. Healthy when they get all those recurrent illnesses from going to school and daycare, and and when does your child need a COVID test and stuff like that? Like I've been focusing on on writing on Instagram because it's just an easier platform to get that information out.
0: Yeah, we definitely took your advice on um, the masks that you recommended for for children. Um, because you know, I would get, even me mentioning it now, the way marketing works, I'll probably get pop-ups for children masks or whatever. Um, but you had mentioned some that I had never heard of and it's just nice to have that resource because there is so much information out there Mm -hmm. and you having been someone who I've felt that I could trust, um, with my child and, uh, it's just, it's just been easier to have a source when there you can just feel like you're drowning with all the voices and words and people who have opinions about all the things. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we all just want our children to thrive and be healthy and be happy. Um, and you know, everyone's path to getting there looks very different. So it does.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I thank really you. This and this was a fun conversation. You were very complimentary, and I'm not sure I deserved all the kind words, but I I appreciate it, and I appreciate you as a parent.
0: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time, and welcome back from your maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.